Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. This week, I'm exploring the challenges of landing an entry-level position in the cybersecurity discipline and how tough that is for one woman, even with a master's degree in criminology focusing on cybercrime. Galen Fassler shares with me the path that finally landed her a role as a cybersecurity professional, how paying it forward paid off and what she would change in our industry if she had a magic wand. She turns the tables and asks me a great interview question too. So stay tuned for the show to hear Galen's candid and refreshing perspective as one of the up-and-coming cybersecurity professionals in our community. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. Today I have a very special guest with me, Galen Fassler, And I want to tell you just a little bit about her. She is an information security professional based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and works as an information security analyst focusing on security education and awareness. Gaylin is passionate about security, enjoys being able to share her knowledge with others to help them understand how to be more secure. After receiving a master's of science degree in criminology, Gaylin decided to pursue a career in information security following a lot of nudging from a family member. And I'm going to ask you about that, Gaylin. (laughs) She's been in the industry for a year and a half, is looking forward to many more years of growing, learning, and succeeding in information security. I am so thrilled to have you here on the show and welcome, Gaylin. Thank you, Karen. I'm so glad to be here. You know, I wanted so much to talk to you and we kind of share the same family on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So... We were going back and forth, and I remember meeting you, I think, in the Twitter sphere where you had volunteered to say, yeah, I would love to talk to your audience about what it's like to be an entry-level professional in this industry as a woman. And I grabbed the opportunity to speak with you because I can talk to a lot of people. I can talk to about it from my perspective of being in it for 30 years, but by this point, I've forgotten what it was like to get started. And there's a lot for all of us to learn from your perspective. You started with a master's degree in criminology. Mm -hmm. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit of background about your path to information security from your college education and then making the choice 
to kind of, as you said, you got nudged to go into the information security field. Tell us a little bit about what that path was like for you and about how hard that was for you to actually get that first opportunity. Yeah. So my bachelor's degree is actually in history. So when I graduated undergrad, I had no idea what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be. And that's actually how I ended up in North Carolina. I'm originally from Colorado. So moved to North Carolina and a family member in the area was like, you should go into information security. He works in that field. He was like, you would be really successful. I think you'd have a great career. And I was just like, no, no, I come from a history background. I don't know anything about technology. I know enough to get onto Facebook on my phone. And that's where we're at. But he took me to an ISSA meeting to see who I could network with and meet and all of that. And one of the guys at Raleigh ISSA took me under his wing. And I actually ended up just helping them organize their annual information security conference that they have out here in October every year. So I got to know a lot of people while I was doing that without really thinking that I would end up going into information security still. I was just kind of hanging around ISSA meetings and hanging out with these people. And then that was when I decided to go get my master's in criminology. My original goal there had been to try to go work for a three-letter agency and be an analyst, like an intelligence analyst or something. But I had the opportunity when I was doing my master's to do an emphasis, and I chose to do it in cybercrime and terrorism, which was actually information assurance. So it was learning a lot about like the CIA triad, a lot of networking principles. And it was there when I was doing that that I realized I can learn this stuff. Like I might not know it. Technology does not come easy to me. It's not just something that I can pick up, but I can certainly learn it. So when I graduated, I still was kind of didn't really know what I wanted. Job searched around for a while before I decided that, yes, I did want to work in information security. So I shifted my focus there. Even with my master's, though, it I applied to quite a few jobs and got no traction, didn't get any callbacks, didn't get any interviews, didn't get anything. So I was hanging out around the industry. I was going to ISSA meetings again, trying to see what networking opportunities I could do. What can I learn? And it wasn't until I got Security Plus that I got any nibbles back. And I actually ended up getting my first job in information security. So a recruiter found me on LinkedIn. It wasn't even a job I applied for. I was just posting a lot and trying to interact a lot. I've curated my LinkedIn over the last few years to connect with and follow a lot of security professionals so that I can learn from them and connect with them, kind of like how we met on Twitter. I'm always trying to meet people. And so, yeah, this recruiter found me on LinkedIn and he didn't have a role for me at the time. Like He and I talked on the phone and he didn't have a role. And I was like, okay, I'll talk to you never. But then he did call me back a few months later and he said, hey, we have a role. When can you come in and interview? So it, it kind of worked out. Um, but in the interim between graduating with my master's to starting my first role in information security, it was almost two years and I'd had security plus four, four months before I finally got that job. And I applied to probably 120 jobs in that time span. That's just incredible to me. I hear that you're not alone, by the way. Mm -mm. I hear that story as I'm sure you do over and over again. We see it on Twitter. We see it on blind. We see it all over where people are coming to these positions with a lot of the right stuff, if not all the right stuff, right? In terms of attitude, work ethic, 
a solid background. My gosh, a, a background in criminology with mm-hmm. cybercrime and terrorism. It's so much more than anybody had when I was getting started, right? Right. It's quite remarkable that there's this lag time between you putting your flag out there saying I'm available to start and not just putting your flag out, but 120 applications. That's mm-hmm. kind of so it's part of what I wanted to explore a little bit because that barrier is a puzzle to me still. And it's not your barrier. It's not something that you've done. It's something out there, like a structural barrier that I think we need to understand. And if anybody, for those of you listening to the show, by the way, as you listen to Galen and I go back and forth, if you've got any suggestions and insights about that, be sure to let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I would really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, when I was, so I've been a a volunteer board member for a couple of different women's groups, specifically aiming to to help women get into cybersecurity. And we would have panels with people who worked in the industry. And from my perspective, as someone like with no experience, really in IT, trying to get into the field, I was listening to these people talk about how they were in IT and then they got shifted over to security, which is great. That's so awesome for them. Like, I'm so glad that that worked out for them. But as somebody who was trying to come from the ground up, it was also so frustrating because it was like, your experience doesn't really help me in my exact situation because you kind of fell into it. And I'm here very, very deliberately right. trying to break down these walls. And so that's kind of where I put my energy now is using my experience. Like, we're here talking about to help other people get into the industry. Because there are a few things that I did that I felt really helped that first company want to take a chance on me. Because I think one of those barriers, especially when you don't have IT experience, is that the companies in general are willing to spend like time and money on you. They're willing to invest in you. But how do you prove that you're worthy of that investment if you don't have that experience? And I think that's a huge barrier, especially for people from my background. Yeah. I'm just going to take that at face value. I don't have any sense for adding insight to that. That's why I'm hoping we're going to do this show and people are going to hear this and go, oh, hello, I have some ideas. (laughs) Because at the time that I built my organization, my first organization, there was no such thing as getting any kind of a certification in cybersecurity. I mean, Mm -hmm. IS squared started off with the CISSP sometime in the early 90s. And up until that time, we were building organizations of cybersecurity people from people who were network engineers and Mm -hmm. whatever it was. We didn't have that background and we all learned it as we went, right? Mm -hmm. So something has shifted. (laughs) (laughs) This is part of the exploration. So let me ask you this question. With what you've been through so far, and you are doing tons of volunteer work and you're working with ISSA and other women, helping other people find their foothold in their career path. If you had the power to wave a magic wand and make everything work the way we feel like it should, right? Mm -hmm. And make it work really well for you in your career. What would that look like for you? That's a really good question. I would say my magic wand would make it so that, so there's a lot of people who really want to work in information security and who really are motivated and smart, and they just don't get a shot. And these people, I'm saying this on a kind of a general level, they tend to be minorities, they tend to be women, and they just, for whatever reason, they can't get their foot in the door. And so my magic wand would actually be a lot about how we hire people, because we see 
there's a lot of discussion in the industry about how it's ridiculous to require CISSP for an entry-level position because those are not the same thing. Well, as if you could get it for an entry-level position because you have to have experience, right? You don't exactly. Have to have- yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we might need to redefine really what entry-level is because even in all industries, a lot of entry-level roles are three to five years of experience. How do you get that experience if you can't get a job? And so that's where I would dedicate my powers to would be to redefining how we hire so that the people who really are passionate about this industry and who have ideas and have things to say can be heard and can get those opportunities. Because I feel like we, you and I talked about this recently, that this industry has a kind of history of being a bunch of white dudes and we need other perspectives and we don't have them as much as we should. So not even close. Yeah. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, that actually is very worrisome. Mm-hmm. The lack of diversity. And this is nothing against white dudes out there, by the way. <laughs> right. Right. I know um, some really great white dudes and I love them, but <laughs> we're, not, you know. we're not doing bashing. No. That's not what this is about. It's about the benefit that comes from having the diversity of thought. Yeah. And you can bet that our adversary in this asymmetrical cyber war that we're all in. And you could talk to that better than I can, but you can bet that they don't have a diversity issue. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. They're varying in diverse backgrounds of our adversaries for sure. But also that's the problem with not having diversity in, in information security is because we can't think like them because we don't know them, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, as if we could ever really totally understand the mind of somebody who creates mayhem, right? There's this theory that we used to talk about in the very early days of cybersecurity, which was it had to do with game theory, right? Mm -hmm. You can only play a game with an adversary towards an end of some kind, like with a strategy, if your adversary has a strategy. If they have no strategy, you can't play a game. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. I've never heard that before. And that is, it's so true. I mean, I've been on the opposite end of many, many incidents and Mm -hmm. events as they were unfolding, trying to make sense out of what I was watching as my network went down. (laughs) Yeah. And one machine gets popped after another and going, what are they doing? And why are they here? Mm -hmm. Right. If I only knew that. I would have some idea of what to do, but it's so odd to be on the other end of that. If we even see them, I mean, at least when I was doing it, it was such a big footprint. You could see everything that an adversary was doing in the network. These days, it's much more sophisticated. So it's even harder. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your point about a game though, just thinking we had a, not at my current company, but at one of my, at a place that I worked, we had a crypto miner get set loose. And so that one's pretty easy to know what it's doing. It's not easy to contain by any means, but it's easy to tell what it's doing because that's just somebody just sent a phishing link. They're just Mm -hmm. trying to to mine some cryptocurrency there. They don't really care. But if we're thinking about it like a game and somebody we can't see in the network, we have, but that becomes then what are we trying to defend? What is our data that's valuable that would have value to somebody who doesn't want to, to be seen in our network? which I'm mulling over 
the game theory. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking hard about that, Karen. You, you're making me think. <laughs> well, when the day comes when we can actually see each other face to face and hang out and have a beer, we'll have a conversation about that. But that was actually, if you ever take a look at the work Don Parker did at Stanford Research Institute, he did a lot of stuff on this. And I'll send the link, his book about cyber cybercrime. He was really a thought leader in those days and actually was talking about the world of cybercrime before it really happened. And so that's where that comes from. This whole idea that there has to be, if you're trying to work against a chaotic mind, you don't have a way to create a strategy. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like we have to have 18 million strategies for whatever chaos comes our way. Right. But that's not a strategy. That's a reaction. (laughs) All right. All right. Yeah, you want to well, get I'm technical the, about it. You're the criminologist, not me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you on this one. <laughs> so you've been in the field now for a couple of years. What would you say was the best thing that you would like to see other people do more of? What was the best thing that happened to you that you'd like to see more of? The really great thing that I was not expecting is the community that is in this industry. You have your your people who you kind of want to avoid, but then for the most part, you have people who are so ready and willing to help you learn something or fix a problem or just go hang out. That was very unexpected. But I mean, I do a lot of networking. We have a ton of awesome opportunities here to connect with other professionals here in the triangle. And that was so unexpected that I met just not that I didn't think there were awesome people in the industry. I'm not saying that. But the friends that I've been able to make and everything that we've been able to experience together, like I never thought that I would be doing capture the flag events But my friends go to them, and so I go to them, and I always learn a ton just from being there and from my friends. It's been an awesome experience being a member of this industry. I would second that, having been in it as long as I have. Actually, I did a retrospective the other day with Jim Rivas and and John DiMaria, and it was broadcast as a webinar. But it was kind of the get-off-my-lawn crowd. (laughs) (laughs) And what I was struck with as we were having that conversation and reminiscing about some things together was how deep those friendships are Mm -hmm. and how long they last. Mm -hmm. It's really wonderful to get to this point in my career and look back at the friendships that I still have for all of the great people that I've worked with or had the opportunity to, to learn from in all those years. So yeah, that's very precious, actually, a really precious piece of what we have here. I'm going to ask you a question I haven't asked you before. So (laughs) as you are talking about the coolness about this industry and how great it is really to work here, have you ever given thought as a newcomer? Let me just say this. I'll put it this way. If you were going to go out and I said, Galen, you need to go get a sponsor. What would be the thing that crosses your mind as if I say something like that to you as a a coaching opportunity? Any thoughts? (laughs) I know I'm putting you totally on the spot. No, my (laughs) first thought was that we've been working from home and stuck at home for weeks. So sponsor has taken on a bit of a different meaning than it used to. (laughs) In that way, tell me, tell me more about that. No, my mind went to like Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, we need to go get a sponsor. And I was like, that's not what we mean. Um, (laughs) Okay, very good. Yeah. If you told me that I needed to go get a sponsor and you were offering that as like professional advice, I would think you meant mentor, somebody who could help me kind of align my career goals and help me get there. And someone who, the hard thing about mentoring, I feel as both 
being a mentee and I'm not really a mentor yet, but I do offer a lot of advice is that as the mentee, it's hard to know what to do, but you have to have ideas and you have to have drive because your mentor can't be like, do this, this, and this, and you'll be successful because there's no just one path to success, especially in this field. I would think you you would be telling me to go get help from someone who has experience in the industry. Cool. Oh, I'm, thank you for that response because I that's my sense that that's what most people think. I make a distinction between mentor and sponsor. Okay. Because a mentor is somebody that can share with you strategies and ideas and make suggestions and observations. And hopefully it's sort of a formal relationship where there's some mutual agreement that this is how that's going to transpire. Mm-hmm. A sponsor is different because I think of a sponsor as the person who advocates for you when you're not in the room. Oh. Yeah. So the person who you intentionally cultivate a connection with, and it's really clear that part of what it is that you want to do is function in a way in the context of that relationship in a professional standing so that they understand what is it that you want in your career? Where do you want to go in your career? What opportunities would you like to see next? What kinds of help would you like to find within the organization? And also he's the, he or she is the person with whom you do your self-advocacy. So they know what you're doing. They know what you're capable of doing. They know all of that about you. So when the time comes for people to start making decisions about next opportunities and visibility and compensation, they're in your corner. Yeah. I've never heard that before, but that is brilliant. Absolutely. I think everyone needs a sponsor. Yeah. It was my big aha moment because my frustration as a, I guess, one of the senior members of this community is how hard it is for diverse women to get that first promotion to get that first foot up the, what did they call it? The first rung of the ladder. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I've noticed is women really tend to plateau out at a, like a program manager level and don't make it to the senior director VP level where they're on that kind of track, right? That's going to eventually make it so that they can be on serving on a board or whatever. That's what we really need. Mm -hmm. And I spent some time kind of looking at that and I think, the guys can go out and get a beer. They go to the climbing wall. They go shoot hoops. They go to the golf course. I've watched that my entire career. Mm-hmm. And mostly that's a fairly exclusive subset of the organization that's doing that with each other. And what are they doing while they're doing that? That's the entire informal performance management process. Mm-hmm right? Mm -hmm. They're telling about what are they doing? What are they working on? Who knows what, right? And there's no reasonable alternative for women. So if I were going to give you one piece of advice, it is do not rely on the performance management process. Find yourself a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's your way to fast track in a very legitimate way, because that's exactly what the rest of the organization is doing. Yeah. (laughs) right? In a way that's been sanctioned for eons. Yeah. I mean, I think too, having someone, just one person that you advocate for yourself to so that they can further advocate for you is honestly really good advice for women because we have such a hard time, I think, in general advocating for ourselves. So that's really true. 
That was great advice, Karen. Dang. (laughs) See, come on the show, get coached. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's part of the dynamic of having the conversation too, is I think we need to have more of these conversations where we have the seniors kind of coaching with people who are just really building their career anywhere in that two to 10 year period. Oh yeah. They look, you need to be doing these kinds of things. This is what's going to kind of give you that leg up. I just really want to see more women at the partner level in cybersecurity who are making these kinds of decisions and are able to make decisions that influence the industry. Yeah. So yeah, Agreed. I think it'll be very cool to watch your career and see how you're one of them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the tables were turned and you were able to interview me and ask me a question. What would you ask me? Yeah. So <laughs> you have already hit me with so much great advice. I would just sit there and be like, teach me all of your wisdom, please. No, I would actually ask, did you ever want to quit? If so, what made you stay? Mm-hmm. That's a great question because it's over a pretty long span of time. Mm-hmm. There were, I can think of two times that I stepped, one time I wanted to step away and didn't. And the other time I did step away and then I came back, but I've got my limits. I'm human. And Mm -hmm. after doing some organizational work, that was just not just organizational work, but one of my favorite projects was working on the largest acquisition, cash acquisition in US history. And the entire terms and conditions of that cash acquisition depended on the cybersecurity of the IT department. And I was in charge of that. Whoa. (laughs) And the terms and conditions required that we have zero deficiencies. And we were in a world of hurt. We had a lot of work to do. The team, actually, we built a huge organization. The team pulled it together. They actually delivered brilliantly. But there was a day I remember very vividly, like it was yesterday. And I laid in bed. My alarm went off at five o'clock in the morning, which is the normal time for me. I pulled the covers over my head and went, I just can't go. I just can't. And I mean, we were killing it, right? We still hadn't finished. And I think you have those moments where you, when you start to play at that level, when you start to work at that level, it's hardball mm-hmm. all, the, all the time. And I think there's not a lot of community of other women who get together and support one another at that level, you're kind of feeling really all on your own. That was my experience. Although I had wonderful friends, there were not a lot of people I felt like I could go share my fears with. Right. Right. And yeah, so there was that one day when I didn't want to come out from under the covers, (laughs) but I did. And I went to work. Good. And then the other one was when I, I think it was just one of those confluences of multiple events that came together. And I talk about this a lot in some of the talks I do, but there was a a big layoff at the organization I was at. Almost the entire management team got laid off. I got laid off in that process. And my mom died the next day and my sister got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And I literally could not, Elin, I literally could not do anything. I was kind of non-functional for a month and I gave myself that. Good. This is before I really understood the processing of grief, but which I came to learn later. But after three months went by, I was like, okay, time to get back into the saddle, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I've always done things. And so I went and I signed up for a SANS class. I wanted to actually learn forensics analysis and all of that kind of stuff. I think that's fascinating. 
I bought the class. I never did it. <laughs> I, I, just, I you bought a SANS class and then never did it. That's right. I even bought all the equipment, everything. You just, I, you just sat there, stared at me and mocked me for like months. And I kept asking myself the question, like, what the heck? Why can't I get back in the saddle and do this thing? I've been doing it for years. I love it. Why don't I go back? And I think for me, I was at that point in my life where I had a different purpose to fulfill and it didn't make a ton of sense, but that's when I became a chaplain. And uh, yeah, I stepped completely away. Um, I became the palliative care fellow at the VA and then came back to tech because I recognized that the same kind of struggle that people have that they bring with them in crisis to the hospital is the same kind of crisis I was seeing among my colleagues at work. So I'm back, but just sort of in a different way. I'm not doing the CISO thing right now. Right. Which, I mean, (laughs) your story amazes me. I mean, that is a lot to go through. Bravo to you for giving yourself that time and then finding purpose afterwards. That's, that's amazing. Like, and thank you for coming back because this is a, a very stereotypical overworked, overstressed industry. And it sounds like we could definitely use someone like you and your leadership on how to not be that way. (laughs) Well, and how to get the job done, but still take care of yourself. Yes. I think that's really important. What I love about this conversation, Galen, and why I'm so happy that you were on the show with me today is because what I did, people will look at that and I hear it the same thing that you just said, which is that's an extraordinary story. What I would say to that is that my story is unfolded one day at a time, one ordinary day at a time. Mm -hmm. Really, it was getting up every day, going and doing the work and taking advantage of the opportunity that was in front of me or taking the next step, whatever that was. But it wasn't like there was some big master plan that I had at the beginning that things were going to go this way. They just, I would have never dreamed it in a million years. Right. So here you are right at the beginning, right? And you had that first hurdle that you overcame as you were making the shift. And what I see in that and what I I love about that is that's just the beginning because you're going to have another hurdle and another hurdle along the way. And how you address those and how you pivot those is going to shape the whole trajectory of your career. And you get that You're at that opportunity, right? To do that now. Right. And that's super cool. I think that's super cool. So, so anyway, here we are at at different ends and I'm glad we're getting to have the conversation and talk. I hope we get to do this again soon. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, it really was. And I didn't want to make this about me. I just appreciate so much what you have to share and please be vocal about all that you are going through, but also continue to do what you're doing, sharing with other people, because boy, the community, the community really needs that hope and needs that connection and needs that fiber that holds us all together. And you're a big part of that. Well, thank you. And I will do my best. The interview question, the very classic, where do you see yourself in five years or where do you want to be in five years? My five-year plan is to just be the person helping others succeed. I don't care what my title is. I do care what my title is, but 
for me, it's more important to be in that leadership position because that's where you can affect change. And that's my goal in work and out of work. So, but thank you for your leadership and your years of, of experience. You were pretty on your own there, it sounds like, but your perseverance, it helped pave the way for the rest of us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. It's delightful talking to you. Thanks, Galen. We're going to do this again soon. Okay. <laughs> okay I'm ready. All Thank right. you, Karen. You Be well. You too. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally. Be an ally.